0: If you will, open up your Bible to Romans, the 10th chapter, and we're going to talk about, uh, I carried that. It's a Bible term. In the Old Testament, we see that uh, there were symbols of things being carried, and when Christ died, he carried a bunch of stuff, and literally, we're going to look at that term, so whatever he carried, we technically don't have to carry in this life. And so Romans, the 10th chapter, I'm not going to begin reading just yet. I want to say a couple of things um, concerning what we're going to talk about. And one thing is this, knowledge is maybe more important to God than people make it for themselves. In other words, some people go, you know, the praise and worship, that's why I go to church, And others say, well, I go there because of the kids program. Some people may say, I go to the church because of me. But really, we should go there because of the word, of the utmost, the truth that's taught. Because it didn't say you'll sing a good song and you'll be free. It says the truth makes you free. And so we need to understand this, that God has said it that way in the Old Testament he shed blood and sprinkled the, the commandments. In the New Testament, Jesus shed his blood, and now he enforces this book. This is a divinely inspired book. And so I want to say this. Faith really is what gives people victory in life, ultimately. It's how you get saved. It's how you receive from God. And so I want to say a couple of things before we read this verse. Without knowledge, there can be no faith. Let me say that again. Without knowledge, there can be no faith. That's important to know because have you ever heard people say, I got faith, and then you get in a group of people and everybody's got faith. You ever been there? I got faith. Everybody's got faith. But just because I say I have faith, does that mean I have faith on God's terms? And so with without knowledge true knowledge there can be no true faith that's important and so knowledge then is the channel by if if there is no faith without knowledge then knowledge becomes the channel by which faith comes to you or to me or to anyone so without Knowledge, people can't walk in what the Lord has really provided because by faith we obtain or lay hold on anything that the Lord has promised. One thing that Jesus said to a couple of different groups of people, the religious people, was this. One time he said to them, he said, You took away the key of knowledge, and those who were entering in now cannot. So basically, what he said is, knowledge is a key to open up a door and to get into a place. And if you take away that knowledge, people can't go through that door. And he said, there were people entering in, and you took away the key of knowledge. In other words, you took away knowledge, it was the key for entering in. Another time, a religious leader came to Jesus at night, and the guy said to Jesus, you're a teacher, you know, meaning Jesus was, but this guy was also a teacher. And uh, we touched on this a little bit last week, and uh, but he really didn't know spiritual matters. And Jesus said, how is it that you're a teacher of the people of Israel, the covenant people, and you don't know these things? Well, what would that mean? If he doesn't know them, or they're not told, then the people that are hearing get locked out so truth is the key why because through the channel of knowledge faith comes without true knowledge there can be no true faith let me say that again without true knowledge there can be no true faith why is that what makes different people's faith right or wrong knowledge correct knowledge well, I believe just in the trees. Well, where did you get that knowledge? So if you believe in the trees, and that, you know, everything, all, you know, whatever, then where did you get that knowledge? Did you get it from his book? So notice this verse in Romans 10, 13. Now this is, or 10, 14. This is the way the Lord set it up. Not me. Not any man, God himself set it up this way so that you could connect with him and get and walk in anything that he has provided. It's not about favorites. It's not about how good you are. It really comes down to heart knowledge. Heart knowledge. Notice this, Romans uh, 10, 14. How then shall they call on him? How will people call on him, meaning on the Lord or on God, in whom they have not believed? So he said, believing is a key to calling. But he said, and when he's talking about calling, he's talking about calling on him to receive the salvation that was already paid for. And he said, how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? In other words, can a person really believe correctly without hearing? No, because then you get people with all kinds of different ideas. There's a big push right now. God's a woman. Listen, just because we like it some way or another... Doesn't mean it's right. So true knowledge is true knowledge, and the book is inspired. And somebody said, but it's so old. Yeah, God's older, and he's big enough to take care of his book. The reason people live confused and empty is they're arguing against the book. Thank you for your excitement. But notice, why would the enemy want to sow seeds of doubt into people about the book? Because he knows that without true knowledge, there is no faith. And without that knowledge, there is no channel to get that faith to people. So if people discredit the book, they're the ones who are empty, and they'll fight you on it. And they can be some of the most discontented, unfulfilled people, but they'll fight you on it. I would think, let's just examine this at least, because I'm miserable. Not me, but you know what I mean. And it says, how then shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Who said this? God did. This is in his word. So it goes on to say, and how shall they hear? Notice, what is it you're going to hear? Humming? (laughs) No, knowledge. Words. Words paint pictures. Tell stories. But it goes on to say. And how shall they hear without a preacher? You could say this without somebody proclaiming. Notice then verse 17. So then faith. What is faith? It's confidence. It's assurance. But notice he said faith comes. Then that means Faith could be there or may not be there if it comes. But it tells me also if faith comes, faith is somewhere. Right? If I say, if I call you on the phone and say, I'm coming, then guess what that means? I am somewhere, but I'm not there. Would you agree? No. If I was on the phone with you, or somebody was on the phone with you and said, they were coming, would that mean they're there? No, thank you. This is pretty simple. Well, let's try this real again. If you have a friend and they call you on the phone and they say you are, they're coming and you turned around and saw them there, would you go, you're not coming, you're already here, right? And so here, he said, so then faith, Comes by hearing. So that means it travels or goes through the channel of hearing, but it comes from somewhere. It comes from hearing and hearing when you hear the word of God. Well, then that means faith is already inherently in this book. Right here. Faith is already in the book, but if I want faith in my heart and I want to get this faith to travel from the book into my heart, I need to listen to it and hear it. Isn't that interesting? What did Jesus send out? He sent out his disciples. What did he send them out to do? Oh, just to love the people. We're just going to go love people. Just going to go love on some people right now. You ever heard that term? We're just gonna go love on him. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Now I'm sending you forth to go love on the people. Oh, this is great, isn't it? Just want you to go love on him. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go love on him. We're just gonna go love on the people. Give him a hug, pat him on the head. No, he sent them out to preach. Now, is that love? Yeah. He sent them out to heal. Is that love? Yes. The things he sent him out to do was love from God, but notice he sent him out to preach. What did Jesus say he was anointed to do? To preach the gospel, to tell the good news. Why? Because he knew that faith that would connect people with God needs to come from God or from what God has said to people. So he said, go preach. Isn't it interesting that when the disciples were first persecuted, they said, the people said to them, don't preach anymore in that name. And they said, we got to obey God. Why? Because they knew if they could preach to people, then the people who would hear, faith would come in there and change them or give them the potential to be changed. And so he said, faith comes by hearing, And hearing by the word of God. So today I want to talk about a couple of things uh, that the Lord has already carried for us. Something he's already done. But without proper knowledge, there is no faith to walk in those things. And sometimes we could forfeit things by wrong knowledge. Meaning this, some people want to live free from guilt, but they think the channel for living free from guilt is to live perfect enough. That's really a a lack of knowledge. You with me? And so we're going to talk about what he carried. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. This is an Old Testament prophet. Some people deem one of the greatest prophets. I don't know that that's true. Obviously, we know John was the greatest born among men. But in the scriptures that are written, people judge this to be that. I don't know. I think it's all inspired by God. So we'll just count it as his word and it's worthy. Amen. So Isaiah 53, we're going to read four and five. But this is a a set of scriptures that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. But really it was talking about Jesus. Notice this. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. The word borne there means to carry it away. And then it says, the next part says, and he carried or carried away our sorrows. And it says, yet we esteemed him stricken, or we recognized he was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded For our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, or you know, the beating that was necessary for our peace, was upon him. And with his stripes, or when he was beaten with that cat and nine tails, he said, We are healed. I want you to notice there it says, that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and remember I said this, we're going to talk about what he carried, you shouldn't carry, or you don't have to carry. And so here, the word iniquity literally means immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Now it wasn't his unfair and gross behavior that he carried, it was yours and mine. And then it says, he also carried our transgression or the act of going against a law or a rule. Meaning in this case, you know, a code of conduct really that God set up. Not a rule, not a set of stuff that I set up, but one or some religious organization set up, but something God set up. And we know from the Bible that all have missed the mark that God set up. But isn't it interesting that he paid a price and he carried all of our missteps, our iniquities, our transgressions? 1 Peter 2.24 says this, and it's divinely inspired, but it's speaking about this event after Christ died. It says, who his own self bare or carried our sins in his own body on the tree That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness or good standing by whose stripes you were healed and made whole. So that being said, he summed it up there. Instead of saying iniquities and transgression, he just said all sins. And he was talking about this verse. So the best commentary you can find about this verse is not what somebody wrote in a book, but what God wrote in the book. So he carried them all, and then it talks about an inward change that's so dramatic. He said, inwardly, the person who receives Christ's payment is really dead to sin now. Because he bore them. But really, when you go in the Old Testament, it's full of types and shadows. You know, somebody said, what do you mean a type or a shadow? There are hidden truths in the Old Testament that really showed pictures of Jesus or what it would look like when he came. One of the pictures was what was called a scapegoat. You know, you ever hear that term thrown around? Oh, they're a scapegoat. You know, that's a Bible term. And, and, you know, when we talk about they're a scapegoat, let's blame it on them, they'll get in trouble, we'll be fine, they're a scapegoat. You turn yourself in, say you did it, and I'll go free, and we say they're a scapegoat. Do you know in the Old Testament, God set this up, and when people would sin, they had what were called scapegoats, and what they would do was the priests would go and offer a sacrifice, but then they'd lay their hands on this goat and symbolically transfer the sins of the people there, and just that, that goat would take off outside the city, out into the wilderness, and be gone. And what it would do would be to carry away the sin of the people that was put on it. Well, when we read these terms, he carried or he bore, it was symbolic or the or the actual picture of the symbol. So when we see in the Old Testament the priest laying hands on this, this goat, and then the the sins would be carried out and taken away from the people, Jesus became the actual substitute where sins were laid on him. It literally means, when it talks about care, carry, or carried, it means carried them away. He carried them away from you. He carried them away from me. And so to bear, which is one of the words there, it literally means to carry away a heavy load did not sin a heavy load? It literally means to carry away a heavy load, in this case, a heavy load of sin, and the guilt that it brings. Because I'll tell you what, you can't say I'm going to sin and I'll be okay because there is something inherently connected to it. Guilt. But the cool thing is, is the Lord didn't just forgive you And go, okay, you're forgiven, you're clean. But he also takes away the guilt. So if guilt tries to stick around in your life, you should resist that, knowing the Lord already took not only your sin, but the guilt. At what for? To set you free from sin. And so this is why we see in the New Testament that people are justified, which means made like they never sinned, By faith in Jesus. Why? Because he already bore your sins. You can never be good enough to stand holy before God on your own. You need a savior. But the thing is, it's not just the initial getting saved. It's the whole life. From the time you give your life to the Lord to the time you die, he paid for all those sins. He carried them all away. And not only that but also the guilt that is associated and the condemnation that is associated with it. And so what do people need to do? They need to truly believe the Word of God more than their feelings, more than the lies of guilt that try to pester Christians because of some past thing they did, thinking God's holding this against me. No, He does not hold your sins against you. Matter of fact, the Bible said, If the Lord held your trespasses or transgressions against you, or literally how it reads us, who could stand? Who? Not one of the people that followed Jesus could be perfect enough to stand before a holy God. So they had to trust that they were justified or declared innocent just like we are. You ready? We're going to look at this verse again, but we're going to look at one other thing that he carried here. And it's interesting, if you read these verses, he paid for more than just sins, transgressions, wrongdoing. But a lot of times we emphasize that main thing. But literally, if you read through those, it says he bore our sicknesses, he bore our pains, he bore our transgressions, he bore our iniquities, he carried the payment so you could have peace. And for healing, because it says, by his stripes you were healed. Here's an interesting thought. He goes through that big list of things that he paid for. And how many Christians are real strong on the fact that God forgave them? Big t- Yeah, God forgave me. Or I may struggle in that area, but I'm... Uh, You know, we keep getting planted stronger. But you know what's interesting? The word surely or absolutely I did this is not associated to the peace of mind, to the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins. It's not connected to, to that. The only thing it was connected to was healing. He didn't say surely I bore your sins. He said this in verse 4, surely he has borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. Now, if you have a Bible with the margin note, it'll say griefs right there, and it'll say L-I-T, literal, sicknesses. And then it says he carried our sorrows, and it'll say L-I-T, pains. Now, here's the thing. Surely he did that, and then you can go on and read down to the last part of the fifth verse. And it says, by his stripes you were healed. What is fascinating here is what many other translations read, is healing was equally provided for just like sin. And what did he do? He carried it away. But remember, it takes faith to walk in things. Faith comes by hearing, and sometimes people have uh, maybe heard wrong stuff, so you have to undo some of that first. You with me? And so what I find interesting is how willing he is to forgive sins, and people are willing to say he'll forgive sins, but how willingly he offered himself for pains and sicknesses, but people are not so willing to attribute that to God. Could that be a misrepresentation of, of Him. Because remember, faith is confidence. And if I don't have confidence in something, then that means I don't have faith in it. So if somebody argues with this subject, you know they haven't heard the truth, or they've heard something that's tried to rob them of the truth. And Jesus warned us in the last days, this is where you have to be careful. People misrepresenting what is the truth. If he willingly sacrificed himself for sin, these were both willing, and he did it for sickness and pains, and also for your divine or having his peace in your life, and he willingly gives forgiveness of sin in a state where you're not even good, Why do we put rules on receiving healing? I'm just saying. Was there ever a time somebody came to Jesus and said, Your problem is is I won't heal you because you're just not good enough. No, it was always on the back end after they got healed that he would say, You should live your life different. Isn't it interesting the Bible said it's the goodness of God that leads people to repent? And what does the Bible call healing? It's called a mercy of God. It's called his goodness. You can go through and look at different things. So sometimes people will talk themselves out of healing because they'll say, I'm just not good enough. You know what I did yesterday? Didn't he bear that away? And the guilt of it? And how subtle it can be that if he equally paid for them and willingly paid for all these things, um, that why would we connect rules to one that he hasn't connected? You would think if there would be any rules you'd want to get connected to, it's you getting forgiven. Well, you better ask him, you better tell him first, you know, I'll do better, I'll never do this again, Lord, now forgive me. You know, some people do that. You can't talk God into forgiving you. you can't. You can't make a deal. God, I'll tell you what, you forgive me uh, because I did this again and again. You can't do that. Why? Because how can you talk somebody into something that they're already paid for it? What if I said, you know, I already told people, hey, we have some of these cards in the lobby. They're already paid for, they're sitting there, And what if I was standing there and you said, do you mind if I take these? Could I take some? Why would you try to talk me into something we already said is paid for and is yours? So you don't have to talk God into forgiving you. He's already paid for it. It already is extended to you if you're lost or it is already your possession if you're saved. And how many people try to talk God into doing something that you can't talk Him into doing because He's already done it or paid for it? Wouldn't that be odd? If somebody bought you a car and then you tried to talk Him into giving it to you, but they already said it's yours and already gave you the keys? But how many people approach God and say, God, you know I'm sorry? He knows. I'll never do this again, so just forgive me one more time. You act as though he didn't pay for the next time you do something. You don't have to talk him into it. Thank you for your excitement on that. How often do people try to talk God into saving them? No, we know it's a free gift, so we don't have to talk God into it. They're paid for at the same time. We don't have to talk Him into it. You with me? We don't have to. Now, I'm going to read this verse, but I'm going to read this verse from the Young's Literal, uh, and he was a Greek scholar, and you may have heard of the Young's Concordance. But I'm going to read Isaiah 53. Uh, three through five, because it will tell us that healing, it'll change those words and it'll translate them. It's a little bit different, but this is the literal way it would read. It says, He is despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. One scholar said that these were not his own, and it will read that way. And one hiding the face from us. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely our sicknesses he has borne, and our pains. He has carried them, and we, we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. In other words, God did this to him for you. He became the sacrificial lamb. And it goes on to say, And he is pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or disciplining or beating of our peace is on him. And by his bruise, there is healing to us. Now, you read that translation, but some people, you know, because doubt can be persistent in people's minds will say, yeah, but why didn't it translate like that? Why do I have to read a different translation to find that, to say those words you said? Wouldn't that be a good question? I mean, some people are oh, that's a good question. Because why would you just take my word? What if somebody, if you read that verse to him and said, well, it literally means this, then why didn't they put it there? What if we have commentary from the Bible that tells us that it's written that way. And what if it was from Jesus' ministry himself in Matthew 8? Turn there real quick. And he is about to talk about people after they got healed and after some were delivered from oppression from the devil. And he is about to tell us how and why... Healing was afforded to these people. Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, Matthew 8, 16, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were sick. Notice this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Now, these are the verses we've been reading. And talking about how he carried sickness and how he carried pain. Why did Jesus in his earthly ministry, or what gave him the right to heal the sick? This sacrifice that he was about to commit. God did it by a credit. You say, how could that be? He hadn't died yet. Well, the Bible says Jesus was the lamb slain. Before the foundation of the world. In other words, God saw that he would be obedient. And he gave it to him on the credit. And they literally translated this like this. He himself, if you got it right there. Isaiah the prophet said he himself took our infirmities. And bore our sicknesses. That's Bible telling us what the Bible says. So the Bible commentary I would listen to is not even a marginal note, but what does the Bible say? Did Jesus already carry things? Did Jesus already pay for this? Did Jesus already give this toward men? I know this, that we've seen, you know, lots of people healed, and there are some people saying, I need healing. Well, technically, healing is provided. I would say this, If your faith has not come up to the level to receive, don't throw things out. You know, some people just throw stuff out. You know, some people will struggle with sin instead of standing against it and learning truth and getting free. They'll just go, it doesn't work for me. It worked for others, but not for me. No, it works for all of us. But I will say this. Don't give up on the truth of God's word. Meditate in it until the light dawns in your heart. When the light dawns in your heart, faith is automatic. You with me? I know this firsthand from my roommate when I was in Bible school. I had moved back to California, and he was married, and his wife started was going to this, the church there where we were going, and they were teaching on healing, teaching on this kind of stuff. And he had been healed literally miraculously of warts. Like, boom, gone. But here's his wife taking loads of medicine. A year passes. A year and a half passes. She's not giving much effort to hearing about this other than what's presented in church. She's not planting seeds, you know, studying it on her own. And she's sitting there one day in a scripture that the pastor had read multiple times. It was actually from either 1 Peter or Galatians, and he just quoted it, and it registered in, in her, and she said, that's it, I'm healed. I got it. She saw it. The light came, and you know what? After that time, she went back to the doctor. They said, you don't need any of this medicine. Something has happened to your body. And she said, yeah, I already know. She just didn't give up, and she just listened. She didn't close the door and say, well, that doesn't work for me. Uh, it won't work for me. So if you don't see results instantaneously, don't give up on the truth. You with me? If, if I was a farmer and didn't see a harvest right away or growth right away, I wouldn't give up on seeds. I would just know they need to be planted and they need to be watered. And Jesus said that's exactly how truth works in the heart of men, like a seed.